Welcome to Iron Matters, the podcast series brought to you by Hemochromatosis Australia. In this episode, we're talking about detecting heart problems relating to hemochromatosis with Professor David Playford, who's Professor in Chair of Cardiology at the University of Notre Dame Fremantle. Hello, David. Thank you for having me. Tell me just a little bit about yourself, your career and your special areas of interest. So I'm a clinical cardiologist first and foremost. So what I do every day is I see patients. I really enjoy seeing patients and uh, hearing their stories and um, you know understanding, trying to put together the picture of what's going on with them. So it's on that background that I've got a training in, in, um, in echocardiography, so subspecialty uh, in echo. I've run an echo core lab, an echo subspecialty lab in the past. And I also run a very big national echo database with a co-principal investigator, uh, Jeff Strange from Sydney. So this is the biggest echo database in the world. We've been able to get some extraordinary insights, which I'd like to describe a little bit later on as well. And as well as the clinical and echo, I've spent a lot of time uh, over the years in really trying to understand about different types and syndromes of presentation. And um, I think if we, if we have the opportunity, it'd be good to go through some of those um, today if, if, if there's time. Yes, we were chatting earlier and you came up with a wonderful term. I thought it was terrific and we could dig into it a little bit more now. Sure. The idea of um, clinical suspicion. How does that play into the way you go about your day-to-day activities as a clinician? I think one of the greatest privileges we have as clinicians is to be able to just dig into what, what somebody is describing. When a patient comes in and they want to talk about their symptoms, they don't have an idea of what's wrong with them. I mean, most people don't really have a preset um, sort of narrative or, or a bias to saying, I've got X. They, they, they've got a symptom and they don't, they're looking for a diagnosis. So our job is to try to go into that, to try to understand what exactly that diagnosis is. And we have to have a set of things that are kind of like flags in our head saying, if, if, if this particular symptom appears, then I've got to think along these lines. Or if this symptom appears, I've got to think along slightly different lines. And there's a few things that I suppose the term is often used as red flags, but to me, and particularly relevant to, to today's discussion, is breathlessness. And that's where I would say if somebody presents with breathlessness, that's not okay to be breathless. Breathlessness is not a normal finding. Sure, if somebody is completely fit and healthy and they're exercising and running up a hill, then sure, they'll get breathless. But that's not really breathlessness as in pathological breathlessness. That's breathlessness as in the limits of their physical capacity in a normal person. But pathological breathlessness, you You've got to be suspicious that about that and if somebody says comes in and says i am breathless then they're not really describing a symptom you'd expect to be associated with normality you're describing they're describing something you'd expect to be associated with disease of some sort so you have to be thinking about what type of disease they may have and there's a whole spectrum obviously of diseases that that could be present so that's non-specific but it's a, it's a flag. And so that's the clinical suspicion that I was talking about earlier, that we need to think, okay, breathlessness, what could this potentially mean? So how does that play into the exposure that you've had to cardiac patients with iron overload? Yeah, so I, I, that's, a, that's a really good question because I, rather than going straight into iron overload, which I, is an important question, I'd like to just take it back a notch and just say, well, people don't present with iron overload. They present with symptoms. And like I mentioned earlier, they present with symptoms that could actually be very nonspecific. And you have to be thinking what could be causing the symptoms. So iron overload is one of the things we have to consider. And I'll come to that in a little bit of detail in a few minutes. But let's just talk more generally. If somebody presents with breathlessness, in broad terms, we're thinking, could this be cardiac? Could this be respiratory or could this be inverted commas other? And when we say other, we're thinking, you know, could it be anemia? 
some sort of systemic disease, could it be neurological, chest wall, that sort of thing. So let's maybe put those off to one side at the moment because, you know, that's another discussion in itself. But if we talk about cardiorespiratory causes of breathlessness, it's pretty broad. So then the next step is to say, well, what specific symptoms are relevant to the heart and which ones are perhaps more relevant to the lungs, okay? So an example of, of a lung-related breathlessness symptom would be wheezing or coughing or hemoptysis um, or a history of, let's say, smoking or um, asthma, COPD. Or uh, on the cardiac side of things, a really useful breathlessness symptom is one of orthopnea or paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea exertional chest discomfort, such as would happen with angina, or risk factors such as hypertension, hypercholesterolemia, diabetes, cigarette smoking, family history of cardiovascular disease, so the five big ones for coronary disease, or perhaps valvular heart disease, and be thinking about that, a family history or a murmur. So in the questioning, the way I normally do this is I ask some absolutely, uh, I've got four classic questions that I ask almost every patient in relation to this. The first one is breathlessness, and I want to know about what brings it on. So for example, if I was walking with you and we were walking together having a conversation, would you be breathless? So that's obviously you have to be significantly breathless to get that. Or if you go up a flight of stairs, how many flights, how many landings can you go up before you have to stop? Or if we're walking up a hill, you know, so you just give commonplace examples of what type of breath or what level of exertion is needed before they get breathless. This second uh, question I ask is about chest discomfort. And I always ask the same thing, which is I don't ask about pain, because if you say chest pain, they may not understand the question. They may think you're talking about pain like a stabbing sensation. Uh, and with ischemic pain, it's usually a tightness or an aching, or just some sort of discomfort may be quite vague. So I say, when you exert yourself, when you get breathless, do you also feel discomfort in your chest? Then the third one I ask about is palpitations, which is a separate thing, and we will need to come back to that because it's relevant to iron overload, but palpitations, we think about things like AF or other arrhythmias. Uh, and, um, and then the last one is, is dizziness. And the dizziness symptom is postural hypotension or sudden unexplained dizziness that could indicate bradycardia uh, or some other sort of, you know, um, uh, um, rhythm disorder. So, it's, um, so they're the four classic symptoms that I ask, breathlessness, chest discomfort, dizziness and palpitations. So, and along that line, if, if the, the patient generally leads me, you know, so I don't have a preset um, um, way that I want to direct the conversation, the patient tells me what they find. But getting back to the breathlessness thing, honing down further, let's assume that it's not respiratory, so let's take those symptoms out of the equation and say we're talking about something cardiac, uh, then orthopnea, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea and exertional breathlessness uh, would be the three main ones. And to be honest with you, unless they've got pulmonary edema, you probably won't see orthopnea or paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea. So it's really just breathlessness with exercise which as we said at the beginning is a non-specific symptom. So we're not really any wiser. So it, assuming there's nothing else that's a hallmark on their history or their prior history, then the next thing we want to do is examine the patient. Now, um, I routine every patient, I always examine them and I'm specifically looking for murmurs and valvular heart disease, let's say aortic stenosis, aortic regurgitation, mitral regurgitation, mitral stenosis, all can cause breathlessness. So if there's a murmur, they need to have an echocardiogram, um, particularly if they're symptomatic. But again, let's assume that's not the case, okay? So we're, we're trying to hone this set of things they could have down a bit further. If there's no murmurs, I don't really think you can tell from examination whether we're talking about a restrictive cardiomyopathy or not. There's, it's so difficult to determine that on clinical examination. 
if there's some findings, you can, it can help you. But if there's no findings, you just don't know. So I don't really think that examination is that helpful in diagnosing a restrictive cardiomyopathy. Usually there's not much to find. So you've got breathlessness, you've got really not that helpful examination. So you really need to move on to another test. Where do we then take it from there? How do we then find our way to iron overload. All right, so the um, so the next investigation, I would do an ECG routinely, uh, and an ECG could be completely normal in a cardiomyopathy, but of course there are some things that would be very helpful in iron overload. There's often a first degree AV block as a result of the uh, of the deposition cardiomyopathy that happens with iron overload. But it also, there also could be atrial fibrillation, which is a common problem as well in iron overload. But again, those two things aren't specific to iron. They happen in many other conditions as well. So I'd be doing an, an echocardiogram. Uh, Now, from a ventricular function point of view, we're looking at everything, but of course, to break it down to simple, um, I suppose, metrics, systolic function and diastolic function are evaluated separately. Systolic function is the most commonly used measurement is the ejection fraction, which is simply the percentage of blood pumped out per beat. And so uh, the normal range is just over 50% for a male, 53, 54%, uh, female, sort of 1% lower than that. So those numbers are around the normal range. Some people um, can have a lower number and still be normal, but that's a guide. Generally, it's up to about 75% maximum, and after that, we'd call it hyperdynamic systolic function. So the hallmark of a restrictive cardiomyopathy is that the ejection fraction is either normal, as in between 55 and 75%, or mildly reduced, okay? So the ejection fraction is usually not significantly affected in a restrictive cardiomyopathy. Now, the thing that is abnormal is the other half of the equation, which is diastolic function. And diastolic function is one of those things that scares everyone because it's just, it's so nebulous and hard to diagnose. But in fact, it's not really that bad. I'll give you a couple of pointers that if you're looking at an echocardiogram, look at these things and you'll be able to tell. So the first thing is you look at the E to E prime ratio. Now that is a ratio of the mitral inflow velocity to the relaxation at the same time of the muscle, so the myocardium, okay? So the way that, that so that you understand what this all means is that if, let's say your muscle is stiff, okay? So the ventricular myocardium is only relaxing slowly. As a result of that slow relaxation, the muscle is moving slowly. But in order to fill the ventricle, there has to be an increase in the filling pressure. And that filling pressure means that the blood rushes quickly through from the left atrium through the left ventricle, okay? So the ratio of that velocity of the blood coming through to the relaxation velocity means that that ratio goes higher and higher and higher. And that correlates directly with the filling pressure. So it's a great measure of breathlessness. In other words, if you've got a high E to E prime ratio, as as that goes higher and higher, the breathlessness level is worse and worse, associated with a worse and worse diastolic function. So that's the first thing. Second thing is just to look at the E prime velocity on its own. The E prime is the relaxation velocity of the myocardium. So it'll actually be written on the echo report, E prime velocity. And the magic number is eight. If it's less than eight, it's abnormal. If it's less than four, it's very abnormal and always associated with restrictive cardiomyopathy. It's it's very much a constant. The third thing to look at is the left atrial volume. So the left atrial volume is the size of the left atrium. And you can imagine that if there's chronic elevations of the filling pressure of the left ventricle, it stretches the left atrium, it's bigger and bigger. And as that volume gets bigger, it correlates directly with increased filling pressures. Also, the stretch of the left atrium increases the chance of atrial fibrillation. So that those two go hand in hand. And then the last thing to look at uh, is the um, Uh, is the pulmonary artery pressure. Now we've got some very solid data. The left atrial volume is directly associated with mortality risk. The higher the left atrial volume, 34 mils per meter squared is a cutoff of normal. And as you go higher and higher above 34 mils per meter squared, you end up with an increase in increased mortality. 
The other, the other one to look at is the pulmonary artery pressure, which is a threshold of 30 millimetres of mercury, the pulmonary artery systolic pressure. Anything less than that is not associated with the mortality risk. Anything above 30 is almost a 45 degree incline of increased risk, and the risk progressively rises as the pulmonary artery pressure rises above that number. Um, so, um, uh, so both of those are quite solid evidence that these are things that are worth you looking at in the ECHO report to establish the risk of that individual and also to establish the reason why they have those symptoms of breathlessness. So then how do we actually join the dots to that reason? And how do we then say with any certainty that yes, we have iron overload? Okay, so we've painted a picture so far of an individual who's breathless, who we have agreed is abnormally breathless. So we've decided to investigate them with an echocardiogram. The echo for argument's sake shows that they've got normal left ventricular systolic function abnormal diastolic function with impaired relaxation of the ventricle, with increase in the filling pressures measured by the E to E prime ratio, increase in left atrial volume index, and increase in pulmonary artery pressure. So the whole hand of abnormalities that go with the explanation of their breathlessness, showing that they've got a restrictive cardiomyopathy. So then the next question, which is probably the single most important, is why has that happened? What disease process has occurred in that ventricle that's caused it to relax abnormally? So then we need to start looking at things that potentially could have affected the muscle directly and coronary disease is always on the list because coronary disease is common we do need to actively look for that even if people have no specific symptoms that would be associated with that so i would routinely be looking for coronary disease even though it doesn't normally present in that way you still need to be confident whether or not coronary disease is present but let's assume that that's not the cause. We then are looking at the mass of the muscle. If there is an increase in the thickness of the muscle, there, you'd be very suspicious that either they've got hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, hypertensive cardiomyopathy, from long, but if they don't have a history of that, that's unlikely, or an infiltrative cardiomyopathy. Okay, so they're the three. Infiltrative, hypertensive, hypertrophic. Now, infiltrative cardiomyopathies, there's a list, and in that list is iron overload. We, do, we can't diagnose iron overload purely from an echocardiogram, but we can be suspicious. And so there is a restrictive cardiomyopathy present on the list of potential causes is iron overload. And so then you look for the other things that could be associated with iron overload. The ferritin, for example, but the trouble with the ferritin is that that's an inflammatory mediator and anything else that, that is, is going on with them at the time, any inflammatory condition can make the ferritin go high, okay? So rheumatoid arthritis or an infection or anything like that is gonna make the ferritin go high. Transferrin saturation is also useful, but then again, you can have an abnormal transferrin saturation and not necessarily have a disease of iron overload of the heart. So really the definitive test here is going to be moving on to an, a cardiac MRI with a T2 star. But that would be if there's clinical suspicion of the presence of iron overload. To listen to more podcasts in this series, subscribe to Iron Matters in your podcast app or find us at www.ha.org.au. .au slash iron hyphen matters.